You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you very much, uh, Pastor Joe. It's a delight to be here. Uh, in case you didn't, how many were here on Friday or Saturday? Can I see your hand? Great. The rest of you missed a terrific uh, time. We had really the top uh, Christian apologists from all over the country were here. You'll never find a better or greater gathering than we had. I'm kind of the leftover uh, Sunday night. They had to go back yesterday, this morning the last one spoke, and so I'm the uh, leftover. But we did, uh, we do have some things that you need to take a look at back there because the Bible commands all of us to set apart the Lord God in our hearts and be ready always to give an answer of the reason of the hope that's in us. 1 Peter 3.15. The Bible commands us, Colossians 4.6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Can you answer every question that people ask you when you witness to them? Uh, Ravi Zacharias, I'm sure you've heard of him, and I put together a book called Who Made God and a Hundred Other Tough Questions. This book is in the 25th printing. It's only been out a couple of years. It's in the 25th printing. The publishers wanted to make a kind of throwaway book. They said, people aren't interested in those kind of questions and answers. Oh, yes, they are. Uh, and the book that they wanted to push died, and this one's still living. Several years ago, uh, we were asked, uh, we were doing a seminar on apologetics, and we were presenting the evidence for the existence of God. And one of the evidences, of course, is the intelligent design of life. Life is uh, exceedingly complex, so complex that in a one-cell animal, just a one-cell animal, according to one of the top atheists in the world, Richard Dawkins, there's uh, enough information to fill a thousand sets of an encyclopedia, a thousand sets of a encyclopedia. And I said to my uh, friend who's doing the seminar with me, you know, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. He said, you know, that'd be a great title for a book. So we wrote it. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. The first report of the book on the internet was by an atheist. He's reviewing the book. He said, it's a good book. This has got a lot of good arguments. I've never thought of that. He's down to the last line. He hasn't said anything bad yet. So I'm wondering, what's, what's he going to say? The last line, he said, well, you're probably wondering, am I still an atheist? He said, yeah, but they've cast some doubts. Uh, so we had him thinking. Uh, the book, uh, Janet Parshall, America, had us on our program, and the book uh, uh, soared up to uh, uh, 5,000 on the uh, Amazon.com uh, list. And then uh, Rush Limbaugh's brother, who's just written a great book of his own, by the way, that I highly recommend that you get, uh, put us on uh, his website, and it soared up to number one. In fact, we passed the purpose-driven life for one day. One day uh, on the... Now, what's so great about that is that, uh, you know, there's a lot of pablum out there today. Uh, I consider that book pablum. Uh, uh, but there's not much with real uh, meat in it and certainly not much with apologetics that gets that far. This is a question I'm asked more than any other single question over the last 60 years that I've been answering questions uh, for the Lord. It's titled Chosen But Free. A balanced view of God's sovereignty and free will. Uh, are you predestined or did you choose? Uh, are we free or did God decide it from all eternity? If you've ever uh, wondered about that question, there's a book back there on that title. We put together something that's called the Essential Christian Trainer. These are six DVDs. This is everything a Christian needs to know to be trained uh, to uh, serve the Lord. The importance of knowing God. Uh, God's, uh, uh, the pillars of the faith. Can the Bible be trusted? Essential doctrines of the faith. 
What's the Bible all about? Uh, this is back there. Be sure and avail yourself of it. If you've not had a chance to go to the seminar uh, or to seminary, we've got this uh, called the Seminary in a Box. Now, what we did is we put 50 uh, high-quality DVDs together, one-hour lectures, on the whole Bible, uh, the whole of the survey of the Bible, all the major doctrines, all of the aspects of apologetics, everything is right here uh, in this one seminary in the box, and I hope that you uh, be able to uh, avail yourself of that. Veritas Seminary. If you can't go to seminary, we can bring seminary to you right through the mail on DVD. Because all the top people in the country, and I mean it, we have over, uh, let's see, four, one, two, three, four, five. There's 20 uh, of the top faculty members in the country that are on our faculty that have already DVD'd the course, and you can take it from uh, your own living room. And it's the uh, least expensive, the highest quality uh, faculty, and the best apologetic uh, faculty you can get anywhere. So I hope that uh, you stop by our table. And then everything you see on the screen here, uh, you can get absolutely free. Just sign your name back there, and we'll email it to you. And tonight I want to speak on a topic that if I'm not told uh, what to speak, wherever I go in the country, and I've been in all 50 states and 30 countries, wherever I go uh, to speak, if they don't tell me what to speak on and they let me choose, I invariably choose to speak on this topic. Uh, are all religions true? Krishna, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, are there many ways to God? And there's a reason for that. And that is the two of the three most important challenges to Christianity today are addressed in this uh, particular presentation. Relativism and pluralism. The third one is naturalism. Those three attacks on Christianity are the most fundamental attacks on our faith uh, in our country today. Are all religions true? It's called religious pluralism. It's the belief that all religions are true, all roads lead to heaven, and all is sincere will ultimately be saved. Quote one of the great theologians of our time, <laughs> Willie Nelson. I believe all roads lead to the same place. We're taking different ways to get there, but we all end up in the same place. It's kind of like Kinky Friedman's statement, may the God of your choice bless you. That's the main thoughts that I have about life. And Willie is not the only one that has those thoughts. A lot of people do. Greatest female theologian in the country. Uh, Oprah Winfrey says, I'm a Christian who believes there are certainly many more paths to God other than Christianity. How sad. Uh, she was raised in a, a Christian church and believes that there are many more ways other than Christianity. It's all based on the six blind men and the elephant. You've heard the uh, parable. One blind man was uh, feeling the ear of the elephant. He said, this is a fan. Another blind man was touching the side of the elephant and said, no, this is a wall. The third one had a hole of the tail and said, I'm convinced this is a rope. And the fourth blind man was touching the leg and said, this feels like a big tree to me. The fifth one had his finger on the point of the tusk. And he said, certainly this is a spear. And the fifth blind man was tussling with the trunk and said, this is a large snake. Six blind people all thinking an elephant is six different things. Now we're told that religions are that way. There's Judaism. They think they've got the truth in Hinduism and Islam, Christianity, Taoism, Buddhism. Everybody thinks they have the way to God. They're all right and they're all wrong. They're all right and they have a way to God. They're all wrong if they think theirs is the way to God. It's pluralism. And we'll get back to that parable in a moment. I want to cover three points tonight. What is truth? Can all religions be true? And is there really only one way? What is truth? Pilate asked the right question. He was sneering. He was cynical when he asked it. And ironically, the truth was standing before him. But let's ask it sincerely. What is truth? 
Well, truth is what corresponds to the facts. If I say I have a Bible in my right hand, that's a true statement because, in fact, there is a Bible in my right hand. Truth is not only what corresponds to the facts, but it's what matches its objects. If I say this is a, a box of, uh, of uh, DVDs called the uh, Seminary in a Box, it's true because that's exactly what I have in my hand. Truth corresponds to the object to which it refers. Or in everyday language, truth is telling it like it is. Now, if uh, that's what truth is, uh, saying this object is a table because it's a table, not a chair, uh, then what would falsehood be? Well, falsehood would be what doesn't correspond to the facts. If I say that uh, I have a, a Quran in my left hand, that's false because I have a Bible here doesn't match its object, doesn't really tell it like it is. So there's nothing tricky about truth. Truth is telling it like it is, and falsehood is telling it not like it is. Well, this leads us to the most important principle in all of thought. You can't live without it, you can't think without it, you can't eat without it, you can't do anything without the law of non-contradiction. You say, I never heard of it. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, it could be true even if you haven't heard of it. The law of non-contradiction says opposite ideas cannot both be true at the same time in the same sense. For example, uh, I am here tonight. I can't be there. I can't be there. I can't be back home in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, I'm here. Uh, the opposite can't be true. It can't be both here and there at the same time in the same sense. Uh, either the earth is round or it's not round. can't be both. Uh, opposites can't be true. Either there's milk in your refrigerator or there's no milk in the refrigerator. Something we all know and we all live by every day, but it's exceedingly important. If true is what corresponds to reality and false does not correspond to reality and the opposite of true is false and something can't be both true and false at the same uh, time, then we're in a position to do what's very important. Uh, apply it to can all religions be true. Famous Muslim philosopher called Avicenna uh, had a surefire way of proving this principle. He said anyone who denies the law of non-contradiction should be beaten and burned until he admits that to be beaten is not the same as not to be beaten and to be burned is not the same as not to be burned. So if you run into somebody who doesn't believe in the law of non-contradiction, just kick him in the shins and ask him, is this the same as not to be kicked in the shins? He will punch you in the nose and say, is that the same as not to be punched in the nose? And you'll both be convinced of the law of non-contradiction. Now let me apply this. Uh, what about those who deny this? What about those who say, I don't agree with your definition of truth. I don't agree that the opposite of true is false. In the next five minutes, you can set your watch. I'm going to teach you how to be a fearless apologist of the Christian faith. You'll never again doubt a skeptic, agnostic, atheist. You'll never again uh, hesitate what you have to say because you will know when I teach you this technique how to answer everyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that's in you. Let's start. It's called a self-defeating argument. Now, that's a self-defeating gun. You don't want a gun like that because you aim at someone else and you hit yourself, right? Now, this is what the agnostic and skeptic and atheist do. They aim at something else, us, and they shoot themselves. They don't shoot themselves in the foot. They shoot themselves in the head. What if I said to you, I cannot speak a word in English? You would say to me, you just did, right? You just did. Isn't that a word in English? So that's a self-defeating statement. It destroys itself. It pulls the carpet right out from under itself. Uh, it throws a boomerang out and hits itself in the back of the head. What if I say truth is not telling it like it is? See, if you take that statement and turn it on itself, this is what you get. Isn't that telling it like it is? I mean, isn't the person who says, I don't think you should tell it like it is, telling it like it is? 
So if he thinks truth isn't telling it like it is, then ask him if that statement is true and if it's telling it like it is. Because if it's true and telling it like it is, then truth is telling it like it is. Or the opposites can both be true. Why can't opposite things both be true? Well, is the opposite of that true? He doesn't think the opposite of that statement is true. He thinks what? The opposite of that statement is false. He thinks this is a true statement, that opposites can both be true, and the opposite of that is false. He's destroying his own argument. You know what's wrong with an agnostic? They aren't agnostic about agnosticism. You know what's wrong with a skeptic? They aren't skeptical about skepticism. Because if they were skeptical about skepticism, they'd be back from knowing something for sure. And that's exactly <laughs> where we are as Christians. Now here's another one. There is no truth. Now, this is the interactive part of the program. Uh, I've already taught you enough. You should have caught on by now. If someone says there is no truth, you say to them, is that true? See? Isn't this fun? This is more fun than a Sunday school picnic. Once you catch on to this, you can line them up and knock them down. There is no truth. Isn't that true? Or you can't know the truth to which you respond. Then how do you know that's true, right? If you can't know the truth, how do you know that's true? See, they think no one else can know the truth except them. They think you should be skeptical about every thing except skepticism and agnostic about everything except agnosticism there is no absolute truth if you haven't heard this you've got your proverbial ostrich head in the sand and the world is going right by you there is no absolute truth to which you respond is that absolutely true because if that's absolutely true then there is some absolute truth right or it's true for you, but not for me. Christianity may be good for you, uh, but uh, I like Buddhism. Buddhism is true for me. Now, how do you respond to that? Do you respond by saying, is that just true for you, or is that also true for me? <laughs> See, he really thinks what? He really thinks that's true for everybody. Or well, let me put it that way. He's really saying nothing is true for everyone. But is that true for everyone? You know, if nothing is true for everyone, then how do you think that's true for everyone? No one knows the truth. And your response is? Then how do you know that that's true? If no one knows the truth, then how do you know that that's true? Well, maybe that applies to books and Bibles and things in the world, but maybe it doesn't apply to God. Maybe, maybe God, maybe that's a matter of, of subjective truth. Maybe that's just what you feel in your heart. Maybe truth about God is not objective. Maybe all other truth uh, that applies to it, but it doesn't apply to spiritual truth or religious truth. Maybe truth about God is an objective. Well, I want to know, is that an objective truth about God? Because if you're saying there are no objective truths about God, then I want to know whether that's an objective truth about God or whether that's just your own subjective opinion. But if that's an objective truth about God, then you can make objective truth statements about God. Now I want to tell you the truth about truth. All truth claims are absolute, narrow, and exclusive. Even the claim that every religion is true excludes its opposite. A number of years ago, well, for about 25 years, I debated atheists, agnostics, skeptics on university campuses all over the country and around the world. I was in Rice University in Houston, and I was debating Dr. Michael Constantine Kalenda. Uh, by the way, we have a, uh, a DVD with... Uh, most of those debates on for 25 years. It's really fun uh, listening to. And uh, we were debating, uh, is Christianity true or is humanism true? He was a humanist. And he picked up uh, my book and he held it up and he said, you know, these Christians are really narrow-minded. You know what Geisler says in this book? He says, Christianity is true and everything opposed to it is false. 
These are really narrow-minded people. So when it was my chance to speak, I held up his book, and I said, you know what Dr. Kalanda says in this book? He says, humanism is true, and everything opposed to it is false. These are really narrow-minded people. You get it? If C is true, this is the interactive part of the program, all non-C is false. If H is true, all non-H is Everybody who makes a truth claim is narrow. My kindergarten teacher is the most narrow person I ever knew. Her name was Miss Knepple. I didn't name her. That was it. <laughs> Miss Knepple. And I knew I was in trouble when she threw my middle name in. She'd say, Norman Leo, what's two plus two? And I would say, five. Whack on the hand with a ruler. Cruel and unusual punishment by today's standards, but we learn. You know what? She was so narrow of the infinite number of numbers available <laughs> in the universe. She would only take one. If I said one, two, three, five, six, or any number to infinity, I'd get an infinite number of whacks. She wanted me to say four, and only four. Don't you think that's narrow? I do. <laughs> All truth claims are absolute, narrow, and exclusive. Even the claim that every religion is true is exclusive claim. Because what? It excludes its opposite. It excludes its opposite. Now that view is called pluralism. That every religion is true. So let's take P is true. What does that mean? It means non-P is false. That excludes its opposite. Even the pluralist is an exclusivist. Now, here's what we got to get across to our culture, because 85, 90% of the people that we minister to are relativists and pluralists. In fact, the surveys show that even in the church, uh, there's about 80% of relativists and pluralists. It's not much different in the church, because only 8% of all Christians hold a Christian worldview and believe in absolutes. That shocks you, but it's a uh, uh, statistic that Barna gave of uh, 2,000 people that they uh, surveyed. If P is true, pluralism, all non-P is false. It's an exclusivistic view. Two, do you know the truth is discovered, not invented? It exists independently of anyone's knowledge of it? You know, gravity existed before Sir Isaac Newton? He, did, he didn't... He didn't create gravity. He didn't invent gravity. When Adam took a bite off of that apple, somebody said it wasn't the apple on the tree. It was the pear on the ground that got us in trouble. But when he took that first bite off the apple and he let it go, it didn't go up. It didn't go left. It didn't go right. It went down. And every time he dropped it, it went down. Truth is discovered, not invented. You know, the mathematical tables were not invented by anyone. And I, if I could find a guy who did it, I would really get him. Because every time I make a mistake, uh, it makes me mad, you know. And I had to memorize those things. Where'd they come from? They're just there. It's part of the fabric of the universe. It's part of our environment. Nobody invented the mathematical tables. Adam was probably sitting around and said, one, two, three, four, two plus two is four, you know. It just is there. Truth is discovered, not invented. It exists independently of anyone's knowledge. No one invented the law of non-contradiction. Aristotle discovered it and elaborated it, but no one invented it. Three, beliefs cannot change a fact no matter how sincerely they are held. I can sincerely believe the world is flat, but it only makes me sincerely wrong. I don't care how sincere you are. If I say the way to uh, get to Miami is hop on Highway 95 and go north, you're not going to make it. Because I could be as sincere as I want, but I'm sincerely wrong. You're going to have to go south. Four, do you know that truths transcend all cultures? Did you know that in China, three, time, uh, three plus three is six over in China? Same thing, yeah. Uh, you know the law of non-contradiction? You're either here or you're not. 
uh, here. You can't be both at the same time. That's the same over in Indonesia. Wherever you go in the world, the laws of math, the laws of logic, uh, the physical laws of the universe are the same. They transcend all culture. Truth is truth wherever it is. You know that being raised in a given culture doesn't make their beliefs true? A number of years ago, about 1985, plus or minus a couple years, Alan Bloom wrote a book called The Closing of the American Mind. Now, he was a Jewish classicist, translator of Plato and Rousseau, impeccable credentials, taught at the University of Chicago, uh, had a whole class full of liberal students, none of which believed in absolute truth. And in his book, he said, you know what's wrong with American higher education? We've given up the belief in absolute truth, absolute morals, and we've given up our belief that the Bible is a revelation from God. That came as a revelation to the academic community, believe me. He said, you know what I would say to my students, all these liberal students, to get them to realize that there are absolutes? I would say, if you were part of the British protectorate in India and they were still burning wives when their husbands died and cremating them with their husbands, which was a practice and probably still is in some remote parts of India, would you put an end to the practice? Now, if you were in charge of this province and every time a husband died, uh, the wife would be killed and burned with her, would you put a stop to that practice? And he got dead silence from his class. So he asked again. Dead silence. Nobody wanted to answer. Why? Because they all have a baloney meter inside, what Jay Budzichewski called the baloney meter. And a little baloney meter tells you when something's right or wrong. And if they had said, yes, burn them, the little meter would have said, nah, you know. So finally, one student broke the silence and he said, the British shouldn't have been there. It's not the question. Not the question. The question is, if you had a chance, if you were in charge, would you put a stop to the practice of burning the wife just because her husband died? They all knew. Their baloney meter told them. It's called Romans uh, 2, 12 to 15, the law written in their hearts. They all knew that. Being raised in a given culture doesn't make their beliefs true. For example, being raised a Nazi didn't make Nazism true. They tried it after the war, the Nuremberg trials. They had Nuremberg trials, and these Nazi war criminals came one by one, and they said, we're Nazis, this is what we believe, and we were just doing what we believe. And guess what the jury said? Nah. <laughs> the little baloney meter went out. They said there's a moral law that transcends cultures that says you shouldn't commit genocide. You shouldn't have killed 12 million people, 6 million Jews and 6 million non-Jews. You know, being raised a racist doesn't make racism true. I was raised in the most racist city in America. You say, where's that, Birmingham, Alabama? No, Detroit, Michigan. We had two all-out race wars when I was growing up. I mean guns and knives in the, in the street. Uh, it's a racist city. Now, does that justify being a racist? Well, I, I can't help it. I was raised in a racist city. No, racism is wrong no matter what city you were raised in. Being raised a Nazi doesn't make that right. Being raised a racist doesn't make that right. You know, being raised a bigot doesn't make bigotry true. How many of you ever seen uh, any of the old Archie Bunker program? Remember Archie Bunker, the lovable bigot? Well, I've got a brother-in-law who could have been Archie Bunker. I mean, he, you, you could follow him around with a microphone, have the script for the program, really. Does that make it right? Because you're raised a bigot? Does that make bigotry true? Everybody believes in absolutes. I had a student who uh, was teaching philosophy in Indiana at the university, and uh, he had an atheist in his class, and this atheist uh, believed that everything was relative. And he said, okay, I want you all to write a paper. You can pick any ethical topic you want. Just make sure it's scholarly, it's well-researched, well-footnoted, well-argued. And this student wrote a brilliant 
well-footnoted, well-argued paper, and he gave it to the professor, and the professor looked at it, read it very carefully, and put on it, F, I don't like blue folders, and sent it back to the student. The student got his brilliant paper, and says, F, I don't like blue folders. He stormed into the professor's office. He said, that's not fair. That's not just. That's not right. And the professor said, what do you mean? Isn't this the paper where you said there are no absolutes, everything is relative, some like chocolate, some like vanilla, some like blue, some like red? He said, well, yes, that's my, that's my view, and I shouldn't be graded down just because the color of the cover was blue. The professor said, I don't like blue, F, and handed him his paperback. Suddenly, the young man realized he did believe in absolutes. He believed it was absolutely wrong to give someone an F just because of the color of the folder. Everyone has absolutes. You should always be tolerant. You should never be a bigot. You should never commit uh, uh, genocide. You should always respect my freedom. Here are absolutes that are common in our society. You know, the truth about truth is that one's attitude doesn't change the truth. Every once in a while, you'll find if you believe that there's absolute truth, somebody will say to you, well, not only are you narrow-minded, but uh, uh, you're arrogant, you're haughty, you think you've got the truth in a suitcase and nobody else has it. You've got a bad attitude. Well, my daughter had a history teacher that she didn't like. She said, I can't stand him, Dad. This is about the sixth grade. And I said, why? She said, all a guy knows is facts. Well, that's pretty good if you're a history teacher. You probably want to know a few uh, facts. She couldn't stand him because of his approach. So if he said Martin Luther tacked up 95 theses on 1517, October 30th, she would say, I'm going to take... 1735, I don't like 15, <laughs> 17, because I don't like my history teacher's attitude. Doesn't work. Still, it's the same date, even though he had a bad attitude. You know, a bad attitude about truth doesn't make it into an error. You could be an obnoxious math teacher, but seven times three is still going to be 21, no matter how obnoxiously you say it. You know that a good attitude about error doesn't make it true? Every heretic I've ever met, and I've met a few in my lifetime, was a nice guy. They were all nice guys. They were all likable guys, nice guys. Uh, they taught their errors in a, in a sweet, tactful way. But they were false. You know that Arius, one of the early heretics of the Christian church who denied the deity of Christ, was a nice guy? You know he was a missionary? You know, he planted a lot of churches. He was a church planner and a missionary. Nice guy, too. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't make the denial of the deity of Christ right. A bad attitude about truth doesn't make it an error, and a good attitude about error doesn't make it true. Now, it's not necessarily either or. I mean, we should have a good attitude about the truth, and we should speak the truth in love. But my point is that even if someone had a bad attitude about truth, it still would be true. And even if someone had a good attitude about error, it still would be an error. Seven, do you know objective truth can't be denied? You can't deny that truth is objective, it's common to uh, others, it's not just subjective to yourself. The denial of an objective truth makes a claim to be an objective truth. You can't deny objective truth without affirming one. The claim that there is no objective truth is an objective truth claim. But what am I getting at? Contrary beliefs are possible, but contrary truths are not possible. You can believe any cockamamie thing you want. You can believe there's a little green gremlin in here <laughs> pushing these things around. He's invisible. You can't see him. Uh, can you disprove that? No, because he's invisible. And the things are moving, right? You can believe anything you want, but anything can't be true. You can believe that uh, all religions are true, but they can't all be true. 
Why? Because opposites can't both be true, and they teach opposite things. Objective truth cannot be denied without affirming it. Now, I'm going to give you some parables. This is what you, I call parabolic apologetics. I wrote a book called The Apologetics of Jesus. He was the greatest apologist of all time. And he just took parables from people's lives. Here are some parables. In every area of life, I'm going to show you that everybody believes in absolute truth. You go to the banker, doesn't matter what the bank says is in my account, but it's how much I feel should be there that counts. <laughs> Won't work. You can try it tomorrow. It will not work. You can say, well, I, I feel that should be 5,000, not 50. Somebody made a mistake on the zeros. Uh, doesn't matter what you feel. It's what the facts are. In medicine, it doesn't matter whether the doctor gives you poison or not as long as you feel good about it. <laughs> I was actually debating a guy on John Ankerberg's show who was a Christian science type uh, guy. I think he belonged to the Unity the cult. And he said, yeah, uh, I said, well, if you drank some arsenic, uh, as long as you think it's healthy, it wouldn't kill you? He said, yes. I said, would you let me go get some, and would you take it on the air here? He, he declined the offer to do it on television. It does matter. Now, this is a true story. It's sad, it's funny, and true. A couple of years ago, I had... Um, a kidney stone, and they used lithotripsy on it to break it up, and it caused sepsis. Sepsis is an extreme, uh, vicious infection that you have, and half of the people die uh, with it. Uh, I clunked out for three hours. I, I woke up in the ER room. There are two things you don't want anyone to say in the ER room. Oops, and oh no. And I woke up vomited up blood, and the doctor said, oh, no. He knew I had sepsis, and he told my wife, I don't think he's going to make it. The next day, I'm waking up 2 in the morning when the blood letters come in. No offense if you're a doctor and nurse, but, you know, they, they come in, and they, they take blood out of you, like the vampires, 2, 4 in the morning. The blood letters came in, and there was one blood letter on my right and one on the left. And they said to me, what's your name? I said, I know my name. You tell me what my name is. Before you take any more blood out of me, and I want to know this. On my right hand was a pink band that said Gillespie. On my left hand was a pink band that said Geisler. I said, you tell me. Which one? Is Gillespie dying? Am I dying? Am I getting his medicine? Is he getting my medicine? I said, I want to talk to the head nurse. <laughs> and I said to the head nurse, this is the stuff of which lawsuits are made. Uh, <laughs> would it matter? You say, what well, does it matter whether you're Gillespie or Geisler, does it? You know, it doesn't matter whether you're getting his medicine or he's getting your medicine. Yes, it does. And there would have been a lawsuit. At least I assume my wife would have sued them. Uh, <laughs> Try this in court sometime. Try this in court. I swear to tell the expedient, the whole expedient, and nothing but the expedient, so help me future experience. <laughs> Let's try that. It won't work. Why? Because they won't take anything less than the absolute truth. I don't care whether it's banking. I don't care whether it's the courts. I don't care where it is. Everybody believes in the absolute truth except in religion, except where it counts forever. If you wouldn't trust your money on anything less than absolute truth to a banker, why would you trust your eternal soul on anything less than absolute truth? Well, it doesn't matter. It matters forever. You know what I say to people who are putting off a decision for Christ? You know what? You're going to be dead a lot longer than you're going to be alive. You're going to be dead forever. You're going to live for 70 or 80 years. So you better, you better get serious about eternity, what's going to happen after you die, 
because it's going to be forever, not just a short time. The claim that religious truth is subjective is not a subjective truth claim. It's an objective truth claim about religion. Well, now that we know the truth is and what falsehood is and the opposite of truth is false and if truth is absolute, now we can ask the $1 million question. Can all religions be true? Back to the six blind men and the elephant. Is Judaism, Hinduism, Islam, are all of these true? Do all roads lead ultimately to God? Do all the sincere be saved? No, they're all wrong. Except the one with his eyes open and who said, this is an elephant. You see, the parable doesn't teach pluralism. The parable teaches exclusivism. Because the one who is telling the parable knows the truth, right? It's an elephant. The blind men, and you would expect blind men not to know the truth, but how about people with their eyes open? Open your eyes. Open your eyes. The truth is absolute. And you better find it. And you better find the absolute truth about where you're going when you leave here because you won't have a chance again. There is absolute truth. And anyone with his eyes open that says, it's a mouse, it's a kangaroo, doesn't know what he's talking about. There is absolute truth. And all religions can't be true for one simple reason. They teach opposites. They teach opposites. And opposites can't both be true. Let's take the two top religions in the world, numerically. Christianity and Islam. Uh, let's take about a half a dozen of their essential teachings and see if they can both be true. And you could do this of any religion. Islam says there's only one person in God. And anyone who thinks there's two or more has blasphemed and he's worthy of death. Christianity says there are three persons in God. It's like a triangle. Three corners, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One triangle, one God, but three persons. Islam is like a circle. It's one person, one God. Now, one thing we know for sure, somebody's wrong. Somebody is wrong. Somebody's seriously wrong because we're talking about the ultimate, God. They're wrong about the, either they are right and we are wrong or we're right and they're wrong, but we can't both be right. Second, Muslims believe that you're born good by nature. Christianity says, in sin did my mother conceive me, Psalm 51.5. We're born the children of wrath, Ephesians 2. St. Augustine said we're born with a propensity to sin and the necessity to die. Somebody's wrong here. If we're right, the people are born with a bend to sinning, with a sinful nature, then Muslims are wrong. If they're right, we're wrong. Three. They believe Jesus was merely a man, but not God, just a human being. Happened to be a prophet like many other people were prophets before him, Noah and Abraham, Moses, etc. We believe that Jesus is more than a man. He's also God. He's the God man. He was the son of a human being, Mary, and was human. He was the son of God and therefore was God. He's both God and man. Now, if Muslims are right about Jesus, we're wrong. If we're right, they're wrong. We can't both be right. Let me illustrate it from uh, Farrakhan. Farrakhan, uh, who is the head of uh, the uh, black Islam uh, cult, and it's a Muslim cult as well because there are no prophets after Muhammad, according to Orthodox Muslims. So Elijah could not have been uh, Muhammad Elijah could not have been a prophet. But Farrakhan says Christianity and Islam are the same. Why? Because Islam means submission to God. And Christians believe in submitting to God. So we both believe in submitting to God. So obviously both religions are the same. Now try this logic out. All horses have four legs. All cows have four legs. Therefore, all horses are cows. Same thing. Same logic. And logic is called an undistributed middle term. 
See, I don't know what that means. It means all horses have four legs, all cows have four legs. Doesn't mean all horses are cows. All religions can't be true because they teach things that are diametrically opposed. Islam teaches that Jesus did not die on a cross and did not rise from the dead. Surah, which is a chapter in the Quran, 4, verse 157. It appeared as though he died, but he didn't really die. He was replaced with someone like Judas or someone else substituted at the last minute. Christianity believes that that's the gospel. I mean, you can give on some things here or there, but this is the heart of our belief, that Jesus died, was buried, rose from the dead, and appeared to many for our sins according to the scripture. That's the gospel. If you don't believe that, you can't even be saved. So here we have crucial beliefs in which they're diametrically opposed. If the Muslims are right, we're wrong. And if we're right, they're wrong. They believe that the Bible in our hands is corrupted. Now, I don't mean minor little errors. It's corrupted on big things like, did Jesus die? Did he rise from the dead? Uh, was Ishmael's son who was blessed Isaac or was it, uh, I mean, Abraham's son, uh, Ishmael or Isaac that was to receive the blessing? There are big things that they think the Bible was corrupted on. The original Bible back in his day was all right, but has been corrupted since then. That's what they believe. We believe that the Bible in our hands has 100% of the truth of the original Bible in it. That there were minor little uh, spelling and other kind of changes, but that all the essentials uh, have come down to us and the Bible has been copied with 99.9% accuracy. Now, if we're right, they're wrong. If they're right, we're wrong. Somebody is definitely not in the truth. They believe that you get saved by believing that there is one God whose name is Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. That's how you get saved. And then you have to live a life of good works, do more good works than bad works. And on the day of judgment, an angel who followed you and copied your good works and one followed you, copied your bad work, put them on the scales, they'll be weighed. If your good works outweigh your bad works, you go to heaven. Unless, of course, you engage in a jihad, you get a direct ticket uh, to heaven and 72 virgins. Now, if that's right, then we're wrong. Because according to the Bible, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Titus uh, 3, 5. For by grace are we saved through faith that not of ourselves is a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Romans 4, 5. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. If we're right, they're wrong. If they're right, we're wrong. Now, these are not incidental beliefs. These are essential beliefs, and they're essentially opposite. There is no way that all religions could be true. I could do this, not only with the two top religions, I could do it with Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Zoroastrianism, Taoism, you name it. They're opposite beliefs. You say, but don't they have things in common? Aren't you overlooking that they believe in God? They believe in prayer. They believe in the afterlife. Yeah, there are a lot of things in common. A counterfeit $20 bill and a genuine have a lot of things in common. Did you ever notice both are on paper, both are rectangular, and both have a 20 on them? Did you ever notice that? But one is a counterfeit. How do you tell a counterfeit? Not by superficial similarities but by crucial differences because it's the differences that make the difference. I'm told by government experts who study uh, counterfeits that they don't study counterfeits, that they study genuine $20 and $50 bills because you have to be an expert in the genuine to recognize a counterfeit. You don't have to bother studying the counterfeits. You'll know it's a counterfeit because it will have some difference than the genuine. All religions can't be true. Why? They teach opposites, and opposites can't both be true. Two, could one religion be true? Well, yes, 
Could one person standing by the elephant be true? Yeah. If somebody took off his blinders and looked at it to see if it was an elephant, you'd expect six blind men to do that. The poet put it this way. Uh, the At night, there's a thousand lights. In the day, there's just one. The light of the whole world dies with the setting of the sun. Did you ever notice you go out in the sky at night and you, you just see thousands? Or as Carl Sagan would have said, billions and billions of them out there. But at noontime, there's just one light, right? Open your eyes. In the noontime light of the one who said, I am the light of the world, there are not a thousand ways to God. There's only one way to God. Do other religions have some truth? Of course they do. You have to have enough truth in it to make it float. It would sink if it didn't have some truth. Confucianism, for example, says, don't do unto others what you would not have others do to you. That's true. It's a negative golden rule. Uh, Matthew 7, 12 is a positive golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Of course they have some truth. That's not the point. The point is that if Christianity is true, then anything opposed to Christianity in any other religion has to be false. And if Islam is true, then anything in any other religion that's opposed to Islam would have to be false. That's all we're saying. Is there really only one way? Let me first give you a story and then give the answer. Suppose you were in the trade towers on 9-11. And suppose the building is collapsing behind you and you get down into the foyer and the fire chief is standing there and he says, that's the only door that you can get out of this building alive. Is it reasonable for you to argue with him? Is it reasonable for you to say, I've been in this building many times, and there are a lot of doors, and I want that one over there? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, and you don't have a whole lot of evidence. Uh, I mean, you have evidence that, you know, obviously the fire people will be there. He's got a you know, uniform on. He's got a badge. He seems to know what he's talking about. You've got a minimal amount of evidence, but it still would be reasonable for you to do it to go out the door that he says. Is it reasonable to believe there's only one way to heaven? Far more reasonable, far more reasonable than that. Christianity says yes, because Jesus claimed it and Jesus proved it. It's that simple. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He said, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the door, but climbs in by some other way, he's a thief and a robber. I'm the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. His disciples said this, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we should be saved. 1 Timothy 2.5. For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Is there really only one way? Well, Jesus said there was, but did he prove it? Because anybody can say it, but can anyone prove it? Jesus proved it in three ways that no one else has ever done. No one else has ever done one of them. Fulfilled dozens of prophecies made hundreds of years in advance, lived a sinless, miraculous life, died and rose from the dead. No other religious leader has ever done that. None. First of all, he fulfilled prophecies. I'll just take a half a dozen or so. He would be born of the human race, Genesis 3:15, born of a woman. He'd be born of the line of Abraham, Genesis 12:1. He'd be born of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49:10. He would come from the dynasty of David, 2 Samuel 7, 12. He would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14. Now stop right there. We got five predictions, and we're getting really close to the bullseye. 
How many people in the history of the human race fulfilled those five predictions? One, just one. How about born in the city of Bethlehem, Micah 5.2? How about would die 33 A.D., 483 years after 444 B.C., according to Daniel 9? How about that? It's only one person. Never in any other religion were there, uh, what do we have? There's seven prophecies, seven prophecies. And we have almost a hundred of those about Christ's first coming. Just get uh, the uh, Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy by Barton Payne. He lists something like 98 predictions about Jesus' first coming. There's no way there's no way that anyone except Christ could be the true Messiah because no one else had it predicted hundreds of years in advance and fulfilled them. You say, yeah, but the psychics make predictions. Well, they tried them one year. They made predictions about next year. The end of the next year, 366 days later, they looked back and they were 92% wrong. One year they were 100% wrong on all the major predictions. Here are some of my favorite false prophecies that Gene Dixon and the others made. That Russia would go to war with Greenland over fishing rights and use nuclear weapon. Thank God that didn't happen, right? That a teenager in South Carolina would make a nuclear bomb in his garage and he would detonate it. Thank God that didn't happen. But my favorite one is that uh, President Kennedy's wife, Jacqueline, would not remarry and she remarried the next day. She married Aristotle Onassis the next day after that. You know, remember that psychic channel uh, on TV? It went off the air. They could have predicted that. <laughs> they could have. You call up the psychic hotline, you know what they say? Give me your credit card number. They say, you give me my credit card number. I know my credit. If you can tell me my credit card number, then I'll believe in you. Isn't it incredible that people will believe psychics that are as much as 90% wrong and won't believe the Bible It's 100% right? Psychics making predictions one year in advance and the Bible making hundreds of years in advance. Is there any comparison? Jesus proved it by living a sinless, miraculous life. Now, I wouldn't say this to my friends, let alone my enemies. Which of you convicts me of sin? <laughs> Anybody can find any flaw in my life? No, I, I wouldn't try that. Look what his friend said. For we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Christ is a lamb without blemish or defect. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. For Christ died for our sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous he is righteous he's pure he had no sin take a look at what his enemies said Judas said I have sinned by betraying innocent blood Pilate said I'm innocent of the blood of this just man Pilate's wife said he was a just man centurion said he was a righteous man or he was the son of God thief on a cross said this man has done nothing wrong and the Herodian said teacher we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Jesus lived a sinless life. By the way, if I were a Muslim and I believed only the Quran, I'd become a Christian. You know why? Because here's what the Quran says. It says that Muhammad was sinful. He even prayed for forgiveness. And Jesus was sinless. It says that Muhammad was not born of a virgin, and Jesus was. This is all in the Quran. It says that Muhammad was not called the Messiah, and Jesus was many times. It says in the Quran that Muhammad refused to do miracles when asked to prove who he was. And in the Quran it says Jesus did miracles, including raising people from the dead to prove who he was. Muslims believe that Muhammad's body is dead and rotting over in Arabia. And they believe that Jesus is in heaven bodily. They don't think he died and rose, but they think he bodily went to heaven. Now I ask you, do you want a sinless, virgin-born, 
miracle-working Messiah whose body's in heaven? Or do you want a sinful, non-virgin-born, not Messiah, uh, whose body is rotting in a grave? If I were a Muslim, I would become a Christian. In fact, I wrote a book on Islam called Answering Islam. And my co-author was a converted Muslim. And he said one of the reasons he got converted is because in the Quran, it says, if you don't believe me, Muhammad speaking, go check your Bible. He said, I went and checked the Bible, and it said Muhammad was wrong. So I became a believer. He now has a Ph.D. in Islamic studies. The book is called Answering Islam. Jesus proved it by miracles. Muhammad refused to do them. In Buddhism, there are no real miracles or Hinduism because they aren't theistic religion. There's no supernatural God to perform supernatural acts. But Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Peter said, Jesus of Nazareth, this is at Pentecost, the crowd there only a few weeks after Jesus had died and had risen from the dead. A man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. He points to the crowd and said, you know, because he was right here. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will, Hebrews 2, 3. Jesus proved it by walking on water. You say, well, I know the gurus walk on hot coals. Well, I have a friend who teaches little old ladies how to walk on hot coals. Anybody can walk on hot coals, but not anybody can walk on water. First of all, you get the, the coal hot enough that it has some ashes on it. That's an insulation. Your feet have moisture on it. That's an insulation. You keep them moving fast. You don't want to go too slowly over the coals. You never saw a guru walk on hot metal, at least not a guru with any bottom to his feet uh, anymore. <laughs> Anybody can walk on water, on hot coals, but not everyone can walk on water. Multiply loaves. I know a lot of gurus who are making dough, but they're not <laughs> multiplying loaves. <laughs> Healing one born blind. If you're born blind, you can never see turning water into wine. I had a skeptical friend once I was witnessing to, and he said, uh, I, I can't believe the Bible. I said, why? He said, all those miracles. I said, name one. He said, like, turning water to wine. You believe that? I said, yeah, it happens all the time. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, the rain goes down the ground uh, into the roots, up through the grapevine, into the grape, and the grape turns into wine. All Jesus did was speed it up a little bit. <laughs> so I never thought of that. I said, you know, you're interested in the Bible. Why don't we get together? Ten chapters later, a uh, miracle happened in his life. He got saved. Uh, turning water into wine. Healing a man born lame. You never walk if you're born lame. Raising a dead and decaying man. You know my favorite verse in the King James? Right in this chapter, chapter 11, where Jesus raised Lazarus. It says, behold, he stinketh. It's my favorite verse in the King James. His body was rotting. This is not magic. This is the real thing. He raised him from the dead. And he raised himself from the grave. Nobody, no other major or minor world religious leader ever did any of this. Now, if Jesus claimed it and Jesus proved it, and there is only one way, and all religions can't be true, and he said he's the only way. Is it reasonable? Is it more reasonable than if you were coming down the stairs on 9-11 and the fire chief says, go out that door? We've got far more evidence, far more evidence. Here's where apologetics becomes very important in the Christian life. We are not asking people to make a leap of faith in the dark. We're asking people to take a step of faith in the light. Think of two elevators. One elevator with the light on, you can see the floor, and a 300-pound man is walking out. The other elevator with no lights on, you can't see if there's a floor and nobody's coming out. 
Now, would you like to take a leap of faith in the dark in this one? Or would you like to take a step of faith in the light in this one? Apologetics can only lead the horse to the water. Can't make him drink. Only the Holy Spirit can make him drink. But apologetics does lead the horse to the water. And it does give evidence that it's true. You're going to have to place your faith in it and experience it for yourself to know the truth. Let's pray. Father, I pray tonight, if there's anyone here who lacks evidence that Jesus is the only way, that by your spirit, you will persuade their hearts and they will make an act of faith to accept him as their Lord and Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Norman Geisler. If you enjoy the message, you can learn more about Norman's ministry by visiting normangeisler.com.